Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right. We're talking about 1981's The Fun House on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Ohio. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. Today, we're going to unpack all the gory details of Toby Hooper's The Fun House in the hopes that a trapped teen or a gas station attendant's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we might make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust to make sure I don't steal a carny's money. The one, the only Gina Radcliffe. I got my rubber knife. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to humiliate you as you're nude and vulnerable in the shower. <laughs> That's not true. No one can humiliate me when I'm nude and vulnerable. That's when I'm at my strongest. As longtime listeners know, of course, that is when I record completely in the nude. And vulnerable. And vulnerable. I mean, very vulnerable. You can hear it in my voice. Uh, now, I don't want to alarm you, Gina, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a very special guest. Now, you, of course, know her as a striking screenwriter, but more importantly, a returning champion here to Kill by Kill, the one, the only April Wolf. How are you doing today, April? Hi, uh, you know, I'm actually doing pretty okay, despite the, the heat here. It's yeah. It's about 100 degrees, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> total, total normal. Everything's cool. Everything's great. That's just why, that's why I say it now. That's my manager. Everything's cool. Everything's great. Yep. Everything's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I'm just very excited to talk about this movie. That yes, we're when I saw it, I've been, I had this in the bullpen for a very long time. I really love the funhouse. Um, and when I really got down to, damn it, I'm putting it on the calendar. The only name I could even dream of putting next to it was April Wolf. This feels like a very April movie. I don't Why? know if it's necessarily is. It just felt right. So my question to you, April, is when was the first time you encountered the Fun House? Actually, it was just a few years ago. There was a, a screening of um, the film print. Mm-hmm before the um, they had remastered this or something. And the writer, Larry Block, was there oh. doing a Q&A. So it was really only a few years ago that this kind of crossed my path. I hadn't been able to see it, uh, to see it previously. So, um, it, and then it was so wild to see it after I saw the film print and see how vibrant the colors were yeah. <laughs> actually yeah. from the, the remaster of it on the, the <laughs> digital. So it's, it's, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. I mean, it is beautifully photographed. I think it's stunningly um, set, designed, and dressed. Um, it, 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 it feels like Hooper is, is going for it in, in a way here that is, because um, there's a, a big push from Texas Chainsaw being that very in-the-moment, practically documentary feel. And then he has a distinct desire to get theatrical with things, starting with Eat and Lie, which is like a, a one-set special. And then this is also kind of a one-set special, where you have one big set that you know you're going to be filming for a long period of time. And then this carnival set, which they had to set up in Miami during the midst of the cocaine cowboy wars happening, and also a 
Teamster got killed on this set. So it, it, it was funky, y'all. <laughs> things things Curse, were sweaty. Cursed, cursed shoot. <laughs> and this is coming after Hooper gets kicked off of two movies prior to him filming the TV version of Salem's Lot. Like he's driven off of two sets of films that are not good for having lost him. And it's just, it's weird that he had this cacophony of events happened. And uh, did you ever happen to cross paths with Hooper here in town? No, no, I never did. Yeah, I never and did. Neither did I. I only, I have only heard gentle things like the, 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 you know, the rap on him for the longest time was that you just never saw him without a Coke or Dr. Pepper in his hand. He was just kind of like, that was his big vice was <laughs> he loved a soda. And then this weird events of leading into this, where he kind of had this, um, is he a, a, a one trick pony is Texas chainsaw, like the one thing he's going to do. And then Salem's lot was so momentous to think about how many millions of people actually watched that when it first premiered that like literally only a month later, they reran it. That was how big it was. They just, it was huge. And so he could kind of do anything he want. And he figured, well, this under $3 million horror movie for universal seems like I can do my thing with it. And he was really attracted to Block's script. So April, what was Block's feeling about uh, connecting with Toby Hooper? I mean, so from from what I remember, and this is a while ago, so I'm trying to remember exactly what he was saying, but mm-hmm. he just seemed like Block, when this hit for him, you know, he was like a struggling wannabe, yeah. like we all are. <laughs> and uh, then this felt like, oh my God, it's finally happening. And I know mm-hmm. that he had a lot of setbacks on the script and it was like sometimes disappointing and sometimes not. But like, um, you know, when it was set up with Toby Hooper, I think it was just like, oh, this is finally going to happen. This is yeah. this is it. <laughs> and it just, it kind of lands in that glut of horror content that's coming out post not only Halloween, but especially Friday the 13th. Uh, it just felt like, Everyone's like, get me one of those. Wait, get me five of those. And so it just, they're coming fast and furious. And so this was supposed to come out a little earlier. It ran a little long. There were some problems on set (laughs) with one of their reels got thrown in the ocean um, by uh, (laughs) Teamsters because someone else drove a different reel to an airplane to to fly to Los Angeles. So, um, Weird things happened here. That being said, it made money. It, ma- it it multiplied two and a half from the negative pickup that Universal had. Vernal Fields took an editorial pass on it, particularly to because she liked the way it looked and felt she could um, deepen the dread leading up to them going inside the funhouse. And it pays off in in absolute spades, as far as I'm concerned. Gina, when was the first time you uh, encountered uh, the the funhouse oh I, i'm sure i saw it on cable as a as a kid it's it's odd because it, it just kind of disappeared for right. a little while like it, it was really left out of the uh the 80s slasher conversation mm-hmm. because i i think that i mean i guess you could consider it a slasher generally um it, it's uh you know 
the, 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 you could consider him a slasher, you know, in the same way you consider Texas Chainsaw a slasher. It certainly mm-hmm. has a lot of similar elements. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did not see it for a long time. And then it popped up on Criterion of all places <laughs> last year uh, as part of their a really, really incredible 80s horror lineup uh, that had a lot of stuff that I had just not seen mm-hmm. in many years. A couple things that I was pretty sure I had imagined <laughs> <laughs> because that was like how out of, you know, out of print and, you know, just, just generally, you know, out of the public conscience they were. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I rewatched it and I was surprised by how much I remembered about it. Uh, and surprised at how, despite it, it sort of being a, a kind of gnarly film and in, in theme, yeah. how how clean and professional it looks. Well, I I feel like you know people kind of peg Cooper as one kind of filmmaker, and then he like disappears up until the point where he directs Poltergeist, and then disappears again in their minds. And that's not really the case. Like. He's quite skilled. He really knows what he's doing. And the the one element that I feel is captured here really well and that, that I feel typifies who Hooper is as a filmmaker is he's unnaturally gifted at driving performers to lose their minds on screen. He just... It's the one point I want to drive home today. And Hooper... He's profoundly skilled at like showing that one moment where someone's tenuous grasp on sanity breaks. The thread that was binding them to rational thought snaps and it leaves them a screaming batch of limbs willing to do anything to escape a situation that happens to be encircling them. You know, you see it in Texas yeah. Chainsaw with Sally. You see it in Poltergeist after the tree attack and when Diane lands in a pool full of skeletons. Um you know, stretch in Texas Chainsaw 2 when she's trapped in an ice tub full of his favorite Dr. Peppers and Cokes and Leatherface is literally having sex with her with a chainsaw in ice <laughs> and she's losing her mind. That's my Toby Hooper. No one else can do that. No one else can do that. And yet, and- to, my, and yet to my knowledge, I, I've never heard anything I know that Marilyn Burns found the the experience of filming Texas Chainsaw pretty grueling, but yes. so did everybody else yeah. involved in it because of just the environment they were in and the it was hot shooting. As hell, it was, it was smelling right. It the sucked. shooting hours, the low budget they had to work with. But I, other than that, I did not hear. I've, I've never heard, and I could be wrong. I'm just saying I've never heard mm-hmm. stories about him, you know, going to abusive methods to getting. A, a performance out of his out of his actors like you know, Stanley Kubrick with Shelley Duvall yeah. or um, you know William Friedkin with The Exorcist, where you know he was doing questionable things to wear them down psychologically. No, I think it was the opposite. I think he was quite passive as a director, and he was subtle in the way he wanted to inform actors. And his collaborators of what was going on. And people viewed that as like, he's not strong enough. He's not manhandling the situation enough. That's how Klaus Kinski got him kicked off of Venom. Like, Kinski was out of his mind. And he just, 
he was going to rampage against anybody when he was on that set. Um, <laughs> uh, so they just like pulled a James Cameron and alien sort of deal. This is a British set with a British crew. And here comes this hotshot American who supposedly made this amazing movie. And they're like, you suck. Get out of here. You're not professional enough. And he's like, I don't need this shit and left. And, it's it's kind of like I think he was too passive and people kind of took advantage of that. But his skill in creating an image and putting characters in a on a, a guided situation where he's pushing them through a situation is really evident in the funhouse. This is a, a remarkable movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's one of those films where uh, as well, if you watch this. It's so evident that all of the bullshit rumors about him not directing Poltergeist and it actually being Spielberg, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of puts those things to rest because to me, it's just, it's it got so many of the same qualities and shots. Yeah. Uh, you know, like there's that scene um, where the blonde is grasping a knife and kind of following her, her you know, dead boyfriend through the funhouse mm-hmm. before the trap doors get her. And it's just like, yes, this is like something like this shot that's like kind of following her while she's losing her mind as you're talking about. Like that to me seems like it's just ripped out of poltergeist. Yes, I I just I think he is able to and, and there you can tell that obviously Spielberg, he wrote the script. He's an active producer. There's the incident where basically they're both trying to give guidance to an actor and she goes, I don't, I can't answer to two directors and Spielberg backs off immediately. He Spielberg 100% like directed that second unit shot of the guy ripping his own face off. That's a Spielbergian shot. His crew is involved there. It, they came straight off of ET into this bad boy. That being said, the reason poltergeist works is because Toby Hooper knows how to drive people out of their mind on camera and capture that moment where they're like, "I my shell is here, but my mind left. I'm just screaming now. And a lot of people think they can make that happen, but he's the only person I've ever seen be able to truly capture that time and time again on camera. It's, it's pretty incredible. And then there's his eye for shots, for composition, for all the things that make the, the Funhouse really cool. There's the Suspiria-esque color elements of it. Um, and just the unnerving dread that he's able to build up. Like, you can tell the script was originally, the, the Funhouse was supposed to be paranormal. It's supposed to be full of ghosts. And Madame Zena, when she tells Amy, um, when she's reading her palm, like, do you see the future? Can you sense when events are about to happen? That's from Block's original script, where... Everyone's like, let's stay over in the fun house. And she's like, mm, that's a bad idea. I get bad vibes from that. <laughs> it's all building that way. And then when Hooper's involved, he's kind of like, well, I think there's a seedy underbelly to America, the carnival the traveling town to town. What if there's this, you know, make makeshift family that is essentially murdering people town to town and are while it's making them money, it's going to catch up to them eventually. And that's what happens here. And the, the movie shifts from that point forward. Yeah. We have another weird family, like, 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 like Texas Chainsaw. There, yes. there, are, there are a lot of similar elements there. Yeah. Originally uh, all the figures within the fun house 
actually contained the corpses of uh, Gunther's previous victims. <laughs> the little girls being found on the other side of the street of the carnival was the exception rather than the rule. Most of them got stuffed into the mechanical figures inside the fun house. And at some point, Amy's, you know, is wandering around and all of those figures start falling, you know, all those bodies start falling out of all the figures <laughs> and she's trying to make her escape. Um, you know, and I think the budget just stopped that. I mean, that's happening. just re, re that's just, you know, reusing and recycling. That's smart. It is upcycling. The the most important kind of upcycling. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy speaking of those figures, the opening focuses very much on them. They found that uh, carnivals would winter in Florida um, before, you know, because usually their busier seasons are in the spring, summer and early fall. And so they would winter, uh, they would bring all their equipment down to Florida, and that's how they could get them for cheap, including all those insane, or as MST3K used to say, uh, these opening credits are grade A nightmare fuel. <laughs> I, I see, I love anything, any kind of carnival motif, mm-hmm. like, like, especially when it's used in something like, you know, in, 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 in something, you know, horror or, you know, mystery related. Like mm-hmm. I, I loved um, Nightmare Alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed this. I enjoy you know, any sort of because I, I as I mentioned before, I grew up in a resort town. You were, that's right. And oh. so yeah, I, I you know I kind of grew up around that element. Like you know, my father would know people that work these carnival rides, and mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time there. So there's something that feels as creepy as they are. They also feel kind of familiar to me in, a, in, a, in an oddly comforting way so yeah mm-hmm. i'm anything that involves weird carnivals i'm always 100 here for it yeah I, I enjoy many of these figures including one that looks exactly like ortega from the incredibly strange creatures who died and became mixed up zombies <laughs> i really like that <laughs> they didn't die they stopped living oh that's right they stopped living and became mixed up zombies that's true like they had a choice <laughs> choice. It's made. also like a tourist trap. Um, yes. Yeah. And um, like, I I don't know, tourist trap. And then uh, what's the wax movie? House, the of, House wax. of Wax. House of Wax. Yeah, yeah. I think of that yeah. too. Yeah. The, the, you know, the encasing the, the you know, the, the bodies of his previous victims and newest displays. Right. Um, and the other thing that sort of come, it, that's an ongoing trope here. Um, for Hooper is he carries over the idea of a horror kid, um, which we see time and time again. It happens in Salem Lot. It happens in Friday the 13th Part 4. And here we have Joey, who is obviously a big time monster kid and a total perv. He is a a monster kid. (laughs) Yes. He is. And there's a, a weird retribution angle to this where you know, he's, 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 he's angry because his sister is upset that he basically like, you know, assaulted her while she's like naked in the shower. Yeah. You know, uh, everyone should take a, a, a couple naked assaultings in the shower. It's all between family members. Oh my God. It's so crazy that there's this sort of Halloween psycho riff, the exact same year De Palma, does another Halloween psycho riff in blowout. They, like 
everyone's thinking about it all at the same time. Of course, the big difference here is that Joey has not only like posters of monsters and whatnot, but he also has a wall of chains, whips, and manacles. <laughs> what yeah, he, that he, for? He's like, I mentioned these to you uh, uh, offline, but yeah, he's basically like the the brother in River's Edge. He's gonna, he, he's, he, I give it another like five years where he's like literally killing someone. And yeah. he's already, he's already torn the wings off supplies. I just, you just know it. <laughs> But also, it's that weird undercurrent that seems to pervade a lot of 80s movies, in particular, where the kid who likes horror movies is a terrible person. And it's like, but that's also your audience. Yeah. Why? Are we terrible people? What? I, I mean, I hope not, April. I certainly don't view you or Gina as horrible people. I mean, Sal- Salem's lot. He was, he was, the, he was the hero, though. Like, yes. he, I mean, his, his knowledge. And and this is you know Freya, this is out of the book too that his yeah. knowledge of of you know horror tropes basically you know, I mean didn't save his parents' lives on lives unfortunately but it saved his own life mm-hmm. and you know managed to you know you know, get him out of the town and you know, hopefully defeat the vampire menace but uh, but no I mean it, it is interesting now you know that there's kind of that turnaround where you know well sometimes it makes you the hero. And sometimes it just makes you a real fucking creep. <laughs> well, there's also the misunderstanding. Well, okay. I would say that he it likes horror, but he also misunderstands it. Like, this is mm-hmm. a guy who, like, glorifies the monster without knowing it. Like, this kid. Right. You know? So, like, I'll, I'll be a little bit more nuanced and say that, like, he's he's one of many people who completely miss the point of horror. <laughs> <laughs> and, and identify with the wrong things and right. idolize maybe the wrong things. And there's also the element, particularly of the monster movies that he's into, those universal monsters. They're very tragic stories. They're Like Frankenstein's monster doesn't want to be a bad guy, but he's made up of some pretty bad parts and an irregular brain. So he throws some children in lakes. Like we all make mistakes, you know? Yeah, he's learning. It comes down to. Um, and it also doesn't help that... Uh, Amy and Joey's parents are like proto Elm Street parents. <laughs> they are, they are, they're not into raising children. And also, she is decidedly drunk throughout this motion picture. <laughs> yeah, we got some classic, like, do not give a shit parents. <laughs> And well, we grew up in the era like Oh yeah, no, I I, I had classic do not give a shit parents. So I mean I I, I get it. And it's like it's like, yeah, you're gonna wander off to the carnival at nine o'clock at night. Have fun. <laughs> um so like there's a setup here that, you know, the 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 house is in turmoil and when they do eventually like joey makes his own journey to the carnival and is constant is waiting for amy to emerge out of the funhouse and it never happens and when he gets close enough to try to peek inside gunther's takes a swipe at him and then a carney like grabs him from behind and he passes out and they call uh, joey's parents to come pick him up and um you get the impression that the carney who has made this call kind of hoped that the parents wouldn't show up. The yeah. <laughs> they could just like, he could just like have him work in the popcorn stand the next day or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's got tiny hands. He can just loosen those nuts so much easier when you reach into the mechanics. I don't know. Like, uh, could have had a good life. Well, honestly, no. honestly, if I saw like, you know, was he like kids like what, nine or ten? Like, yeah. if I saw like a nine, nine or ten year old kid is walking around a carnival by my, by himself, I'd be like, that child had doesn't have parents. I could, <laughs> I could, I could add it to the payroll. Well, he has two parents, and one of those parents has the has a big gulp of bourbon that she's working on, <laughs> and is noticeably drunk throughout the motion picture. It's she's it's a, a real, real she's a real sarity portrait of a middle aged alcoholic. <laughs> and then you know, Amy's got trouble at home, but she's not making great decisions outside of the house either because. She's finally accepted a, a date proposal from Buzz, who works at a local gas station. Don't don't date men named Buzz who work at the local <laughs> gas just, station. Don't date men named Buzz. Don't don't talk to guys who have floppy hair over thirty five. These are the rules of kill by kill. And um, he's the kind of guy who honks at his date instead of knocking on the door like a fucking human being, like you can tell, like shit's wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is just, this whole nice disaster from the beginning. Truly, it is, it is fated that things are going to go awry. Um, how do I describe Buzz? He has a really boss looking car and a pair of fuzzy dice. And also his car has decorative dice um, hanging from the rear view mirror. <laughs> It's a balls joke, everyone. So, um, uh, Buzz, she goes, maybe, maybe we don't go to the carnival that was tied to the deaths of two children. You think maybe <laughs> we could not do that and, and steer this in a different direction? And he's like, listen, I didn't get this far listening to women. So, uh, we'll be going to that, that carnival and we'll be picking up your dipshit friends. Um, it would be antithetical. It, it would literally violate every tenant kill by kill has. If I did not point out that the house that Joey and Amy live in, the outside of it, is actually the Munsters TV house. And also uh, the sorority window that Pluto spies on uh, girls in their underwear in an animal house on the uh, Universal Studios back lot. Would I ever uh, miss a chance to point out something stupid on the Universal Backlot? No, that's the <laughs> way I roll. So Buzz also picks up this, this second couple, Liz, who happens to own the tightest red pants that have ever been manufactured. And you have Richie, who looks like he's time jumped from the set of 30-something and is the biggest asshole we may have ever covered on this show, Gina. Yeah, he is, he, he is up there. He is. He, and we just watched, we must watch Final Destination 4. Yes. So that's saying, think, that's saying a lot. That is saying, if you took every character in the Final Destination and Frankensteined them into one person, they may end up being Richie. But I don't know. Richie is a chaos agent. He's like the fucking Joker. I don't understand him as a human being. He makes every wrong decision and then makes you feel like an idiot if you don't follow him into this terrible decision-making process. Yeah, he's, he's basically like peer pressure put into human form. <laughs> and then, so they go to this carnival and you can, you can tell right away, <laughs> things aren't right here because almost immediately once they walk into the joint, we see a guy who I designated as Torgo Jr. And 
Torgo Jr. looks like he's been applying grease to the gears of all the mechanics with his face. <laughs> I've never seen a dirtier person portrayed on screen. Oh, no, I mean, honestly, the entire, like, Carmel crew is just covered in a, a, a crust of filth. <laughs> it just, it's grody you, you beyond had, you, measure. You, you had to, like, scrape it off with a credit card. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's a lot of people at this carnival with credit cards. Well, no think, doubt. Maybe maybe a triple A AAA card is about as as, as hoity toity as this crew gets. But he's just eating dirty cornbread next to toddlers, and people are like, "It's the carnival, y'all!" And that's the it's way a, the it's entire lo- night goes. It's the local color. <laughs> um. It's just 45 minutes of unnerving dread <laughs> and the patrons of this carnival. Like, like, it's Dante's Inferno, but with calliope music in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, you're basically you're you're meant to, you know, if you know, something bad's going to happen, but not, maybe not necessarily to to these characters just walked in, but but something bad's going to happen. You, yes. you know, someone's going to get thrown off of a, you know, a cheap ride. You know, someone's going to get the food poisoning is going to spread through the carnival, but to you, something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Someone's going to lose a finger in the gears. Like it just, it, it's in the air, everyone. Um, the next, the next carnival person that we meet, I've designated bathroom hag. I don't really know what else to call her, but <laughs> she just shows up places and tells you God's watching you in the most menacing manner possible. She's like a, she's like a, uh, the rare lady, crazy Ralph. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's great. She reminds me of a woman that I uh, had an encounter with in the theater seeing Oppenheimer, actually. So it's really fresh in my head. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of like a harbinger of like, everything's going to be bad. You're doing something wrong. I hate you. <laughs> and she just hisses at people. And, and like, I just don't I don't think God envisioned people harassing other people into their faith at inside of a bathroom. They just, I don't think that's how you're going to curve people over to your idea of what religion is. Wait, have you ever had someone try to harass you into their faith in the bathroom? Because I have. Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) Why? It's weird, right? It's a captive audience. So I get actually makes sense in in some way, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, and it just, it's absolutely bizarre. Uh, yeah. People are fucking inappropriate in bathrooms too often. The the last incident, which happened not too long ago, which was someone telling my son he needed to get out of the men's room because he's a girl. And he, he just has beautiful hair and fine features. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's just gorgeous. Look, he's just, I, I, it's not my fault. I, I promise you, he can open his mom's phone with his his own face. It, it's due to her that he's very, very attractive. But he does not have to leave the men's room, sir. Um, that was quite an incident. Um, speaking of being of uh, grown men being inappropriate to children, we have Joey being harassed on the side of the road. Huh. By a guy with a shotgun. That's how you know it's really Florida, even though it's set in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had messaged Gina at, while I was watching it. I don't. It's even for a movie that's supposedly taking place in Ohio. There are very few movies that feel as Florida as 
the fun house. Yeah, this is excruciatingly Florida. It's Florida to the max. And um, the man the man has um, a whole mouthful of dead teeth. It's, And this includes a, a, a creature in it who has all sorts of messed up teeth. But I think I'm more disturbed by shotgun man's teeth than I am Gunther's. Well, yeah, because he's probably not wearing, like, you know, an appliance. <laughs> sure. Um, so, uh, along their journey uh, in the carnival here, you can slowly feel a descent into uh, an experience that's out of their control. Um, there are things that that they, um, they don't recognize are warning signals and red flags. One of them being that the carnival barker uh, that that they see three times. It, 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 he's three different people, but he's played by the same actor. And this is an intentional thing. <laughs> and it's very unnerving because I'm not sure which one of these Barkers I like the least <laughs> for various reasons. Um, let's talk about Barker number one. Um, he works the animal anomaly tent and is dressed for an evening out on the set of Cruising. <laughs> I just he's wearing a hoop earring like he's a like a fucking pirate and but he also has enough chains to be Mr. T pre Mr. T so it's it's a definitive look that he's going for here but he, like look achieved <laughs> um inside of the tent that's where we meet Tad um uh, the good thing about Tad is that he knows all the jargon. Get it? He's a fetus in a jar, everyone. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't endorse that joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's, I don't say they're all winners. I just say them after I've written them because I put in the work. Barker number two works at the girly tent and maybe related to Dick Van Dyke's chimney sweep from Mary Poppins. Uh, it's quite an interesting accent he's put on here. Uh, oh, I didn't notice it at all. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's Kevin Connolly too, in in like the darkest wig possible and a fake mustache. Yeah, uh, referring to all of the strippers as his sister, um, which is a choice, uh, definitely a choice. I and love then we the have... strippers, though. I love oh. like the there's like a you know like a shot because they're not shot in a tantalizing way. Everything is shot looking up and scary. Yeah. These women with pasties, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are at least shown in a light where they are a show, whereas the audience, everyone in the audience, is another nightmare <laughs> given life. There's <laughs> like the guy who's trying to be like sexy Popeye is in there. And then um, there's this trio I've referred to as Manny, Joe, and Yak. Uh, one guy's got a corncob pipe. <laughs> and they're just, they're so aggressively turned on that it's practically performative. <laughs> I think my favorite is the truck driver who has a Lincoln beard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy. I just rewatched it to remind myself. I, 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 my, I caught that as well. <laughs> um, of course, Barker number three is the person we'll get to know um, the most uh, is dressed like uh, Les Lies dad character from you can't do that on television. Uh, that is a deep, 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 deep <laughs> cut. Deep, deep cut. 
Yes, I promise you, if you Google it, that joke works. Um, uh, I do love the way he says, terrifying. Oh, yeah. And he, and just like, he has, has this like riff that he does. And it's just like, terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> um, and uh, then the, the another person that we meet along the way is uh, William Finley from Phantom of the Paradise and Eaten Alive. He's playing a guy named Marco the Magician. He is in sort of a shock wig makeup sort of deal. And um, he he gives everyone a history lesson in the middle of the magic show, which everyone enjoys, and then stakes his own daughter in the heart and then reveals her. And that's the show, everybody. You stake one lady in the heart and you're done for the night. And he doesn't wait to drink. He just drinks on stage because he's keeping it real. <laughs> you know, he, 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 he's very, you know, he, he's very uh, economical with his time. Yes. Uh, he knows what people want and he knows what they want to see. The other carnival worker that we meet is Madame Zena, who is a real piece of work. I couldn't quite determine what she was drinking. The cap made it appear that she was drinking straight Listerine, but it has to be some sort of alcohol. I mean, oh no, could be Listerine. <laughs> I mean, remember, be. remember that some mouthwashes do actually have alcohol in them. Yes, yeah, I I remember that episode of Family Ties. I remember. Um, so, uh, I do. And speaking of bits, Barker number two is the one who, in his faux Cockney accent, <laughs> repeats over and over again: "They wiggle and they dance." They wiggle when they dance. Like, okay. You're really getting into this, my guy. God, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> like, these these character actors are just, like, doing everything. Yeah, they're making a meal of, 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 their, of every line of dialogue. Oh, I love it. I mean, every single one of them. And you, uh, like, Larry Block brings it up. And in archival footage, Toby Hooper mentions that, like, everyone is referencing Nightmare Alley as, like, a real, I saw that movie, it affected me a whole lot, I want to bring that vibe to the table. And it happens over and over and over again where you get that really aggressive, seedy, carny feel out of this. Um, it really, they, as you said, they're, they're, they're making a meal out of it. Gene, um, uh, Richie is the genius who hatches the plan that they all stay the night inside the funhouse. And he should be tried in the Hague for this decision. Let's just put it out there. It's real fucking stupid. Don't worry, folks. He will find a way to make it fucking stupider. Um, I love the line that Liz says when they're, they're peeping into the peep show. Um, I'll find my own hole, which is super weird, but I enjoy it very much. <laughs> Um, and this entire time, like once they go inside the funhouse, Joey, you know, clocks them going inside and he never sees them come out. And so you set up this, th these dual plot lines that he knows they've gone inside and they never come out. And that's when he starts to become psychologically tortured by Amy's words that I'm going to get you back in such in such a way that I'm it's going to destroy you. And I think it works. Congrats. Oh yeah. I mean, like like you said earlier, when he's grabbed by the barker, he just 
it's like a cartoon. He just flat just passes out. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that like, he just doesn't turn like his hair doesn't turn white. <laughs> That's true. Just one streak in the middle of it, like Ash uh, in Evil Dead Two. Um, so um, once um, the, this our foursome is inside the funhouse, they hop out of their ride vehicles and instantly find places to uh, straight up do it. Of course, Liz and Richie are evoking that Friday the 13th ideal of dry humping on wood, which, Jesus Christ, people, like, at least molest one another underneath the clothes. Don't don't just dry hump on splintery wood. Um, and somehow Buzz gets Amy's shirt off. So at least we know that he made it to second base. But they're quickly interrupted by um, noises that they can't quite understand. And it turns out that uh, the person in the giant Frankenstein mask is a, a gentleman we will come to know as Gunther. And he has arranged to pay Madame Zena to make sweet, I'll yell at you a lot, love to him. <laughs> and as you might imagine, this does not end well. <laughs> because she um, tries to get things going. Tries to give him a handy from the outset. And he comes like that. And for reasons we can't quite understand, he is embarrassed by this. Uh, but then he takes it an extra step and straight up strangles Madame Zena to death. I would like to briefly uh, note a paragraph from the original New York Times review of this incident. Surreptitiously, the four teenagers choose to spend the night inside the horror show of the carnival. Never mind why, it doesn't matter. Among other things, they watch the monster and Sylvia Miles, who plays a fortune teller, commit a sex act. Presumably, it is unspeakably vile, but fortunately, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hooper has shot the scene mostly in darkness. Thank goodness we'll never know. Does he not understand what a hand job is? Is is that what I I'm mean? I I I feel like at the time it was released, it you know the the you know, the film quality may not have been as bright great. as it is now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I I would I would give him the benefit of the doubt for you know genuinely not know. being able to quite tell what was happening. And yeah, I don't on, know. I think they just don't know what a hand job is. I, <laughs> that's also on. possible. I mean, but I mean, like no one really appreciates the horrors, the true horrors. Of premature ejaculation. <laughs> True. And they certainly don't expect it to go as sideways as it does here. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, no, nobody, you know, hand jobs didn't really become a thing in film until, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos. <laughs> and then it's just like, okay, well, be where, you know, let's wait for the hand job scene. Right. And you set the bar that high, it's really hard to get over it after that. Um, but uh, Zena's death uh, is an orgasm of itself as during their struggle, they back into an electrical panel, which sends sparks flying everywhere. It's an orgasm into and of itself. Um, and of course, our foursome has witnessed this entire thing. And that's where they make the one good decision in this entire movie, which is to beat fucking feet out of that joint. Miraculously, yes. Yes. Uh, so that's not quite as easy as I've laid it out to be as most of the doors, these emer the emergency exits, as it were, that are not designated exit by any signage, are chained shut. 
And then they the wait. Other, are you are you serious? They they are they are violating safety codes. <laughs> I buckle surely up. you just buckle up, Gina, because I hate to be the person who bursts your bubbles here. But uh, the people at the funhouse are not operating up to OSHA code. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did they, at least, did they at least have proper smoke detectors installed? Um, we don't really know. But when the when the basement does literally catch on fire, we never hear any sirens. So my guess is no. Yeah, I like that carnivals just kind of operate in their own jurisdictions. Like they're right. like transient jurisdictions where it's just like, well, whatever happens in the funhouse stays in the funhouse, you know. And I think our foursome probably might have had a chance up until the point where they witnessed a murder. And maybe even then. But when they're when it appears to be that Buzz has found an exit for them, Richie goes, I'm just going to make sure that Madame Zena is dead. But instead of doing that, what he does is steal a carney's money. And when I tell you that there, that is perhaps the worst decision we have witnessed on this show, like... It's it's definitely the top three. It's fucking insane. I don't I don't know what Richie was thinking, but it's definitely how do I complicate this so I make sure that I'm dead by the end of the night? Yeah, it's just like like why would it even occur? Why would it even occur to you to do that? I I truly do not know. Um, but it turns out that Barker number three, his name is actually Conrad, so I'll refer to him as thus from this point onward. Uh, but Conrad has not only like he's he's a bit perturbed that he's killed a fellow carnival worker. But when he discovers that all the money is gone, that's when he really loses his mind. And he kind of alludes to the fact that while they have left a trail of bodies everywhere they've gone, um, he's, he's okay with that. But losing money is really um, too far. And he pushes Gunther to seek out whoever has stolen this money and kill them to get that money back. And once they do, they can go fishing together. And my question to both of you is, what does that fishing trip look like? <laughs> I, I like to think that Gunther just kind of, you know, catches a fish, you know, bites the head off and throws it back in the water. I imagine a lot of fish heads do end up down the gullet of Gunther's mouth. That That's absolutely true. I oh, like yeah. that tackle box has got to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I don't even want to know what's in there. <laughs> um, I just have note after note, like, good Lord, this movie looks so fucking good. Because it does. It just, everywhere the camera points inside the funhouse is another insane looking tableau. At one point, they like walk both into and out of King Kong's mouth. And it's just fucking gorgeous. Like I'm, I'm reminded. And because we talked to uh, April about this also, the, the mirror maze in Dr. Giggles, like you can really tell that people there are like, I want to make this look as gorgeous as possible. And then they, they achieve that. They really elevate what could be a very, and it, it's a very silly movie, but it's a very fun and silly movie, but it's truly elevated by that mirror sequence. And I, I feel like the same thing is happening here in the fun house. Yeah, don't you think it's interesting that both Dr. Giggles and the fun house are evoking the uh, James Whale 
films. Yeah. I, I find I, that very, like the fact that this guy kind of formed the basis of all, all of these films. And it's like, that's one of those things where you're talking about earlier, how this kind of comes out and disappears in the, a lot of slashers, but like this isn't a slasher. Yeah. Like I don't consider it that I consider it in the same way that I, I think of, you know, I, you know, like a Frankenstein, really. Um, it's a tragic monster movie. Yeah. And playing in, the, you know, it, it's that tragic monster stuff just woven into some slasher tropes. And it's so early in that slasher boom that they're just being established at this point. There's all sorts of slashers happening because while Friday the 13th has a lot in common and it definitely happened because Halloween happened, it's trying to be its own thing. And, you know, it, it's more of a whodunit in the same way that prom night is kind of a whodunit. And those are filmed at the same time. So a lot of this stuff is like, it does fit together as tropes after the fact, but what, pushes this out in a different direction is that universal monster movie connection um, and the care that goes into building up that third act. And one of the bad things that I think Friday the 13th did in the aftermath is it gave people a formula to go after. And when you don't exactly fit that formula, I think there are some horror fans who go, this isn't a good movie because it's not giving me that exact order of emotional and thrill hits that I get where every 10 minutes I'm getting X, Y, Z. And the the Funhouse is not that kind of movie. Well, that's why I was saying I think it, it was you kind of left out of the conversation with uh, with horror for a while. I'm not even sure. I mean, it probably was, but. Uh, I don't know if either you watched all three parts of uh, In Search of Darkness, the the the, the very long, very thorough <laughs> Shutter documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember if it was even mentioned in that. It, that makes me wonder if it was. I know it took until the third version for them to talk about The Unseen, another movie that feels uh, that, you know. It's unclassifiable. Uh, yes. And, and like weirdly is happening at the same time as this like the fact that the the the, almost the entirety of the third act of the unseen is basically the basement scene of the fun house um and the family dynamics are kind of similar it just it is it's kind of wild to me that the all the stuff was in the miasma but i do feel like some filmmakers were reaching for bigger things and I don't know exactly what people expected for from Toby Hooper, but I do feel Toby Hooper delivers with this. Again, I don't doubt anyone's um, you know genuine emotional reaction to art, but this is one of those things where I think people need to give it more of a go to really get what it's going for. Yeah, I would I would totally agree. Um, so we have Joey on the outside, who's kind of like our last remaining thread of hope of outside intervention. And so when he approaches the sort of underneath the bunting of the funhouse, uh Gunther reaches out for him and he's so scared he ends up in the arms of a carney and that pretty much ends any hope of that going the way like someone's going to intervene. And yet because Amy and Joey's parents show up at the funhouse, 
she sees them at one point through a fan that that muffles her voice and she's screaming out for for help from her family and they can't hear her and that's one of those incidents in this movie that i absolutely think like not a lot of movies try to go for this where hope is just one herd scream away and fate just won't allow it to fucking happen like this is not what's in the cards she's trapped in the funhouse with gunther and nothing can intervene and that seems grander and bigger than just your average slasher film yeah and, and yeah and i think that unfortunately you know, you have you have you mentioned the unseen a lot of these movies were and i think this one did Fairly well at the box it two, office. Yeah, it made two and a half times its budget. Um, it was fine. It wasn't a blockbuster, but it but but fun. I think while we're you know horror fans of the early to mid eighties were so hyper focused on straight up slasher movies that you really didn't see these you know movies that are really trying something with the genre again for a long time. Yeah. Um, because, yes, and it's a very it just got very reactionary. If if someone wasn't trying to make a Friday the Thirteenth, they eventually tried to make a Nightmare on Elm Street, which was in its own way trying to make a Friday the Thirteenth. It, it just um, and there's joys to be found there, and we've talked about plenty of them. But I think the Funhouse is one of those more hidden gems that isn't on everyone's immediate radar, or they might have heard is a bit of a disappointment. But I am here to tell you that I definitely think you you need to give it another chance. Um, it would it, let's talk about the deaths of our foursome because really it takes until the third act for anyone uh, any one of them to actually end up dying. Uh, Richie's the first one to go. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> the sigh of relief that came out of me when he was picked up by a noose and dragged off while money fell out of his uh, pocket. Honestly, it's too good for him. <laughs> Should have been him who got his head pushed into a fan. Truly. But the good news is, is that even though he's dead, there's still humiliation to come because Gunther puts him inside one of the ride vehicles and shoves it towards a buzz who's armed with a prop axe. And he ends up burying that axe right in the back of Richie's head. Uh, and um, yeah, it, it, it made me feel nice. It made me feel it's, some it's satisfying. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, a lot of these, it just, you know, I, I don't really feel anything when, 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 when the characters are killed, but mm-hmm. you're Richie, I was like, okay, justice has been served. <laughs> he may be one of those grand exceptions to the rule of, you know, unlikable characters die. You know, I think some people think you're always going to get a Richie like reaction from your viewer where they're like, yay. And I, I just, you have to most, most, it up of the like t- most of the time, the irritating characters or the meant to be irritating characters in in horror movies are just kind of you know boring, and you know, you're you're, just, you're biding your time until they get killed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is pretty satisfying. There's also like the nonsensical but satisfying thing where when his body is pulled up by the noose, the money falls from his pockets like it rains down like confetti. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, of course, you're supposed to give that money back. You're not supposed to steal it from Carney's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he he pays a price for a sin. And it's not as stupid as like smoking marijuana or drinking or fooling around. I, I honestly, I 
people really need to give it up with that bullshit. <laughs> it's so weird that people become f- focused on like, oh, it's the final girl and she's virginal and that's why she's the final girl. Like, we need to give up that a, a, a young girl's hymen has magical powers and that's how you outlast Michael Myers. It's fucking insane. Um, Liz um, <laughs> dies in an uh, air shaft and I, I have to feel... There's this apocryphal story of on the set of of filming this that Stephen King is telling Toby Hooper about Alien. And he refers to it as uh, a bunch of people trapped on a, on a spaceship um, who were attacked by a skeletal chicken. And <laughs> somehow this drifts down into Toby Hooper's consciousness to the point where this air shaft death of Liz feels like it's both picking up on Alien and is picked up in Alien 3 by a different filmmaker that is looping back into the funhouse. It just feels, it, it feels like too many people are, are, are too connected mentally here. And uh, it's a feedback loop of cool-ass movie tropes. Anyways, Liz gets clawed to death and has her face forced through a fan. Yeah, I, 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 I really, I think that that's a that's a that's a richie level death. Liz doesn't, Liz doesn't deserve that. That no. that's got to that's yeah that that seems to be more appropriate for Richie. Yeah, Liz is a little too pushy with other people like having sex, but that's like her worst sin here in this movie. And she's too big of a cheerleader of Buzz, but like we've all made mistakes of of who we think should get together with our friends. It's fine. Um, oh, I did want to note that the carney who finds Joey and is wiping off his face tells Joey's drunk mom and dad, I washed your boy up real good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is just, a, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to drive him right to the emergency room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I, I swear to God, like if it wasn't totally inappropriate, I would put that on a t-shirt. It's just one of the most amazing lines I've ever heard in my life. Do you think that we're meant to think that something else happened? I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm certainly, it's certainly, you know, I, I think that he means in like a kind of taunting way, like that, you know, he may not have done anything, but you know, he thinks it's amusing to make the, these, you know, these, you know, normal middle-class people think that he did. I mean, he does say you should have heard what I had to do to get your phone number from him. And that sent a chill up my spine as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, and then so the our twosome that's left alive is Buzz and Amy. Um, they walk into the literal mouth of madness that is King Kong. Um, they get to one of the ve- ride vehicle exits, which is also chained shut. Um, but they're cornered by Conrad and there's this bitchin' split diopter shot of Conrad holding the gun on Buzz and Amy. That's just so fucking beautiful. It's it just the care and the skill behind how this movie is constructed and photographed. It's, it, I just, I was really energized from it. Um, un, unfortunately for Conrad, he's not, he's not much of a fighter. He's more of a lover. Uh, whereas Buzz <laughs> is as bad a fighter as he is a lover. And so they really tussle in a lot of slap fighty ways, but finally Buzz gets the better of him and shoves Conrad 
onto a propped sword uh, through the guts. Well, once again, like safety violations, having apparently actually actually sharpened swords on display in their in their 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 ride through ride. Or Conrad is just soft like butter, and he'll just land on top of anything. Yeah, yeah, he could be like built like a like a wedge of brie. <laughs> A wedge of brie with crazy orange hair uh, tousled on top of it. Um, it Conrad is kind of has a revivification. He resurrects ever so briefly and minorly stabs Buzz in the gut. But uh, Buzz gets Conrad's gun and shoots him twice. And, and that seems to once he gets him in the tummy a couple times, that, that seems to be all he has to give. Uh, but we get great shots of Conrad drooling. Is this the most drool in a non-alien film that we've covered, Gina? There's an excessive amount of saliva in, 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 in this movie. There's a lot of things going into mouths and too many things coming out of it. It's, it's yeah, a lot. Yeah, no, but nobody has their mouths closed. It, it's just, yeah, it's it's a lot of, it's it's very damp. Um, and just when you think they've they've overcome enough, Gunther drops, drops out of the rafters. Buzz tells Amy to run as as shots ring out. Um, and when Amy sort of pulls herself together and thinks, maybe I should go back and help Buzz, uh, two doors open and Buzz emerges in the arms of a mechanical clown. I mean, that, uh, that's, I absolutely want to go that way. Yeah. Even if, even if, even if the, you know, I, I, my death did not take place in a fun house, Please just arrange my corpse on a mechanical clown. <laughs> to be presented on the arms of a mechanical clown. I, I just want to, that's how I want to be, that's how I want to be laid out at my funeral. <laughs> well, I'm going to try my best. Um, here's the thing at this point, Amy is like at an eight on the Hooper scale at this point. She's, she is a, a quivering mass. Um, she is, but she isn't quite all the way there yet. Um, she has to, go full throttle through a Suspiria miasma before she gets there. She finds her way down to the basement of the mechanics, which is just like chains and sharp hooks, because why wouldn't it be? And so she crawls around this basement for three or four minutes just to establish every part of this joint is dangerous. And then she, at this point, that's when she kind of, she's at a nine. She's just making squeaks of verbalization at the point. Words have gone away. They've flown bye-bye town. And Gunther finally <laughs> launches himself out of a door at her. And she hits him a couple times with a crowbar in the head, which does nothing. And my question to both of you is, is Amy really weak or just does Gunther have one hell of a fucking skull? I mean, I didn't think, I think, you know, you know, Gump's got some steel plates in there or something. <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of skull to go around. That's for damn sure. I think it's all skull. It's all skull. <laughs> As opposed to the final destination, Gina, where no heads had skulls. Just no. Bodies every, were floppy. They, yeah, everybody was, was, everybody was just like an empty sack. <laughs> Uh, oh my God, what a terrible movie. What a great movie uh, the Funhouse is. Uh, and so in the fight with this crowbar, somehow Gunther wrestles it away. But in that action, he swings too far back and connects with an electrical panel and lights up like a Las Vegas neon sign. 
and everything just becomes sparks and pain. Does he get hooked on one of those traveling chain hooks? Of course he does. Does he get dragged along while sparks fly and Amy just crumbles? Her performance here, Elizabeth Barrage's performance here, is amazing. It's just incredible that she's reached the point on screen where you can tell her brain is broken. Yeah, she she screams like everybody wanted to scream in, in like in like the summer of 2020. Right. Um, and of course, Gunther is dragged by that hook into a pair of massive gears, which seemingly tear him in half, kinda. Um, and yet he doesn't die for a really long time. <laughs> His physiology is a mystery. I don't know how he operates. Uh, according to an interview with, with Larry Block uh, that I heard, he did not want Gunther to die. He didn't think this 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 uh, cacophony of events would actually kill Gunther. He would live beyond this. And I don't know, maybe he would, I don't know, grow spider legs. I don't know how he would operate without the lower half of his body, but okay. It's quite a way to go. I mean, you've seen Basket Case. <laughs> yes, I have seen Basket <laughs> Well, you know what? When you're right, you're right, Wolf. When you're right, you're right. Just very quickly, uh, Dean Coons, uh, an author who owes about 85% of his success to having the, the last name that starts with K, so his books would be within spitting distance of Stephen King, actually wrote a tie-in novel to The Funhouse that expanded the story in the most batshit ways I've ever heard of. In his book, uh, Conrad and Amy's mom are the parents uh, of Gunther. Oh, boy. And this entire event is built up by Conrad as a way for him to make a, a... uh, sacrifice to Satan. It's it, it sounds nuts. Because I was say is. Is, it, is it as crazy as the uh, the novelization of Gremlins? And yeah, it actually does seem like it might be. <laughs> it sounds categorically insane. And the and of course he badmouthed the movie. The movie sucked in his eyes. In Dean Koontz's eyes, this is a bad movie. So another knock on Dean Koontz. And of course, uh, we have the famous shot of when Amy staggers out from the funhouse in the uh, harsh light of day, and she just stares up at this, the, the and I hate to say it, the fat lady. Cackling fat, cackling fat lady. Cackling fat lady whose eyes go in two different directions. And you can just tell, like, she's gone. She's a shell of a human being. She's like Sally in the, in the, in the back of that truck. She's gone. It just, it's incredible what, what she goes through and the, that it leaves you on like, yeah, she's alive, but she's not alive the way she was before she entered the funhouse. Yeah. She's at the, the no amount of, you know, you know, buy one, get one free corn dog tickets are going to recover. are going to make up for that. Yeah. I don't think the make goods they have for her are really going to equal her sanity. That's for darn sure. Good point, Gina. Bootleg Bugs Bunny doll. <laughs> How do you feel about uh, a larger stuffed panda, Amy? Won't that make up for this? Um, April, did we miss anything you absolutely that you need people to know about the funhouse? I just want to know what happens to the carnival. Like, do they get to keep going? I mean, they lost <laughs> a lot of personnel. 
they did. I mean, they are really down. Um, they're going to have to recruit hard. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, they're, they're definitely going to have to hit up some like prison halfway houses. <laughs> Their indeed listings are through the roof. Um, let's 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 put it out there. It's it's going to be hard to recover from from that level of uh, personnel uh, walking out the door on you. Um, but of course, we we cannot uh, stop talking about the funhouse. Until we choose your own death venture, that's where we decide of the deaths portrayed in the funhouse. If you were to choose one of those ways to die, which one would it be and why? Up for bid uh, today, we have strangled to death after giving Gunther a handy, uh, noosed, hung, and having your head caved in with a prop axe, uh, mauled in an air duct, um, pushed onto a giant sword like a sad sandwich, Death by clown, question mark, and electrocuted and torn in half by gears. April, you're our guest. I choose you to go first. Well, I'm actually, uh, I'm I'm of agreement over here in terms of I would like to be displayed on a clown after being stabbed. I think that's, that's how I want to go. Um, it feels dignified. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and it feels... Um, you know, like angelic in a sense. Yeah, it's like a P. It's like the Pieta. I mean, yeah. <laughs> except, except like you know, you know, instead of Jesus, it's you, and instead of Mother Mary, it's a clown. Yeah, you know. I mean, honestly, it, 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 that looks it's 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 weird because it looks like quite a bit like the a chalk drawing I saw at the Pasadena Chalk Art Festival recently. <laughs> Uh, but now that I think about it, like maybe that's why I loved that chalk drum so much to take a photo. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, I, I think there's no other way to go. I'm telling you, there's no more kill by kill cacophony of events. Quite like comparing a dead body on a clown to a payeta and then connecting it to the chalk art festival at the Paseo Mall in Pasadena. Well, I'm I'll I'll send you a photo, <laughs> and oh, you're gonna see it. <laughs> oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I just <laughs> I I love how uh, this discussion has turned out because all three of us are going with that clown. Come on, that's just that's the way to go. You not. How can you not? I mean, oh, yeah. who wants their face pushed through a fan? That the, no. that just sounds like a terrible way to go. No. After he's clawed it all up real good, like, eh, that's a bit much. Uh, I, I, I want my tummy poked a little bit shot and then delivered via clown to my girlfriend. Um, or that's not a girl. They're not, not boyfriend, girlfriend. This is their first fucking date. What am I doing? I'm like, wow, wow you're like, you're trying to <laughs> establish their relationship here. Yeah. I really, well, you know, we were poisoned early on, um, in Friday the 13th. It was like the wild west in the, in the, uh, fandom, you know, <laughs> Wikipedia things. They would always ascribe, uh, couples who died together in Friday the 13th as having been buried together one on top of the other. And <laughs> af after we started pointing it out, it mysteriously started to disappear. Like editors at, at fandom were like, no, 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 no. That's got to go. <laughs> So, unfortunately, that, that only exists in our minds anymore. I really wish we had taken some screen captures. That was our cultural impact, is getting somebody <laughs> to 
to change the uh, pages of Wikipedia that claim that couples who died in Friday 13th movies were buried in the same grave. <laughs> on top of one another is my favorite detail of that. Like one of them has to be on top of the other. Otherwise it doesn't count. It does save space. Let's put it that way. Um, April, um, uh, the writers and actors are striking. Um, so I would ask what you have to promote, but um, I'm, I'm guessing um, a lot of that is on hold. Yeah, all of that is on hold. I mean, I can say that I have a, a sci-fi short story published in a magazine. I think that's you like that. That's Who okay. A sci-fi story. I love, I love sci-fi stories published in magazines. Which magazine? Um, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Um, uh, artifact. Okay. Um, it's like a yeah. It's a it's a long um sci-fi story assemble awesome. assemble artifacts Ooh, is the journal that. um with a, a handful of other uh some some stories are horror some are sci-fi it's all genre uh you may gather um mm-hmm. but yeah i have a short story this is so weird it's so weird to <sighs> promote that <laughs> Well, I would also promote that uh, actors and writers are not asking for the moon here. They're asking for, for to uh, you know, be able to afford health insurance and to be properly employed throughout, you know, a majority of their year, and to be able to advance their craft by sharing what they do by being on set. Um, it's really not a hard thing to to say that we don't want to be replaced by computers that have just learned what other writers have done in the past and regurgitated. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. It is stupid. It needs to end. The studios need to wake the fuck up and hopefully collective action does what it does best, which is bring rat fuckers who uh, supposedly are in charge of corporations to their knees. Oh, now he's gotten now he's gotten political. Now we're gonna get can- now we're gonna get canceled. Oh no, you're oh. gonna get those, some reviews. Those I, one star, those one star readings are finally gonna come after oh, seven man. years. If we could get canceled, that would be great for us, Gina. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about television and movies at thespool.net. Um, I also write about movies and television and occasionally my paranoid rantings about the future of artificial intelligence <laughs> at uh, on my substack at ginawatchesthings.substack.com. And I am on Blue Sky under Gina Does Things. Yeah, do it today, people. Check it out. You can find our socials. Um, uh, we're on Blue Sky and Instagram. And we have our Facebook group and we, we were on a different social media platform, but I can't remember what they call it, and I'm not going to use the new name, so fuck that joint. Um, we have a Patreon where we do fun things like talk over Friday the 13th movies, answer your questions, and give you bonus episodes. Um, and that just about does it for this episode. Uh, but don't worry, folks. The body count will continue. For, for, my, for myself, for Gina, and for April. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.